Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Pickled Parables. I'm very honored and excited to get to share with you again this week. And as I was working on my lesson, I was also um, simultaneously working on a a sermon for preaching at my church. And uh, something that came up in that sermon was this idea of just how light is used in the Bible. And so Today we're going to explore, we're going to do kind of a, not, not a complete word study, but we're going to do kind of a concept study of, of light and what light would have meant to uh, their, their thinking in the times of Jesus. And so uh, light is used in a number of ways, uh, and it's used many times in the Bible. It is used as this idea of actual light uh, that is like something that allows you to see better, However, it is also related to this idea that it is supposed to be a source of kind of a figurative light. Jesus says that his followers are, they're they're called to be light and are told to be filled with light. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, where he says, you are salt and light. And in Matthew chapter 6, this is where I was working for the sermon, uh, where he talks about the the eye is the lamp of the body, and that we are called to be filled with light. And these two ideas, that believers are called to be light and called to be filled with light, is an extension of another idea, which Jesse has explored earlier in the Gospel of John series, where it says regarding Jesus, um, this is John chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John tells us, that in this one that is coming, who would bring light to everyone, later we learn that this, this person is God among us, is life, and the life that Jesus possesses is described as being the light of man. That is, the life, the life that Jesus lived was of such a character that it shed light and gave mankind and people the ability to see better and have direction themselves. And so, when Jesus came to the earth, one of the metaphors or ideas that is used to identify him through this idea of, is through this idea of light. And that being that they, they're trying to draw a connection, as we're going to see today, that points back to the Old Testament. 
but he is identified as this this source of light, this idea and concept of light, and the life he brings is so categorized by light. And when people are changed by him, they participate in that light and are thus, as Matthew 6 says, filled with light. But this idea of light has a lot going on. Um, There's a lot going on here. And so we're going to explore some of the ancient ideas of how light was used and how light specifically was thought of by the Israelites. So first, when John introduces this idea of light and, or sorry, this idea of light coming into the world and there being light, he's drawing us back to the book of Genesis, just as he is when he opens up his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word. In Genesis, we read of a story um, where God is calling Abram. Abram lived in a faraway land, and God was calling him out of that land into this new covenant and to take a promised land for for God and for himself. And when we join this part of the story, it's in Genesis chapter 12, uh, right out of the gate, we have God telling Abram, while he is still living in a faraway land, that, that God is going to bless Abram and that through Abram and his family, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. This blessing and covenant are again stated after God offered the sacrificial ram on behalf of Isaac, Abraham's son. And, and he tells Abraham in that moment, he has just saved Isaac and offered the, the sacrificial replacement for Isaac. And he tells Abraham again that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring due to his obedience. This expectation, uh, and, and as you continue to read the Old Testament, you look for this, this thing to happen. How is God going to bless all the nations of the earth through this, this man and his, his kids? And as you read the rest of the book of Genesis, this refrain is repeated, and then you enter into Exodus and other parts of the Bible, and you go, okay, well, like, when is this thing going to pay off? And you might hear all this, and you might say, okay, Hunter, I'm with you, but like you said we were going to talk about light because so far I haven't heard much about light. Like you introduced the concept of light and then you instantly started talking about like God and this Abraham guy and how God made a promise to Abraham. So the reason that we are going there is because this concept of light is going to fulfill that promise. First, we have to discuss how Genesis ends and how Exodus begins. So Genesis ends with the people, remember, when, when the people were hearing this story, they're looking for when and how God is going to fulfill that promise to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth through him. And when, when Genesis ends, the people of Israel are living in the land of Egypt. Joseph has died, and there is a cliffhanger, and it just kind of sits there. Like, the story ends, and we're just told, like, and that's it. And then Exodus picks up and tells us that that, quote, living in Egypt has really become slavery in Egypt. Couple that with the question is, how is God going to bless the nations of the earth through this? Like, he said he was going to bless all the nations of the earth through Abram, and now 
Like, Abraham's descendants are stuck in Egypt. They're in slavery. More importantly, where is God? And can God get us out of this? That's kind of the pulse and the the emotional feeling for the people of Israel. And honestly, it's pretty quiet on the word of God, like, word from God front. Until one day, God appears to Moses in a flaming bush. For those who of us who live in a world of fluorescent bulbs and indoor lighting, uh, fire is often not really like a source of light to us. Like we use fire to like have a fire pit or at a campfire to cook our food sometimes. But mostly fire is something that we've kind of done away with for practical purposes. In the ancient world, however, emitting light was one of the chief purposes of fire. Like, you have fire, so that way you have light. And this bush on fire caught Moses' attention. He drew near to this source of heat and light, and he walked away from that encounter, and this is important, changed. The light of this bush caught his attention, and it didn't stop. It didn't burn up. And as he approaches it, he has this encounter with God, and he walks away from the encounter changed in some way. Light has a way of getting our attention. And this light that appeared to Moses in the form of fire, and more importantly, the God Moses encountered by drawing near, stands contrast to the ninth plague of darkness, which would one day strike the people of Egypt. We're told this interesting fact about about the plague of darkness in Exodus chapter 10. There's the page flip. And verse 22. Exodus 10 verse 22 says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. And this is the interesting thing. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. While Egypt was dark, Israel had light in all of their homes. But at long last, God delivers his people from the Egyptians. And when he leads them out, we are told that God guides them by way of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. This pillar of fire is described as having the purpose of giving them light so they may travel by night and be safe. Because another facet of the ancient world that we kind of take for granted is that you, you need light for safety. It, it, it keeps the things that might lurk in the darkness away. It turns them away. And coupled that with light is directing our path. It guides us. And that is just what God did for the people of Israel uh, for years and years via this fire cloud in their presence. And in these adventures of, of being brought out of slavery and into the land, and then later in their wilderness wanderings, uh, we are told this story of Moses, the, the guy who approached the flaming bush where God was at. We get this story of Moses, now who has taken on the role of, of leader of God's people. And Moses begins to advocate, and he puts himself on the line. So 
what had happened was he had a, he had gone up the mountain uh, to meet with God to receive instructions from the Lord, and, and and there's like this big fire tornado on top of the mountain and and this big storm, and he doesn't come back down as quick as the people at the bottom of the hill thought, and and they kind of thought he was dead, and so pretty quickly after saying to God, yes, we will be committed to you alone. We will worship you alone. We're in on this. The people breach faith and they commission Aaron to build them this idol, this golden calf. And Moses hears word of it when he is up on the mountain. God says, hey, like, even now, while you and I are up here, like the people are at the bottom of the hill throwing this thing all away. Uh, and Moses advocates because God he says, like, we're, we're going to do a, a hard reset on this. And Moses is like, God, no. Like, this is not, this is not it. And he advocates for the people. He puts himself on the line for the people's breach of faith with the golden calf. He expresses to God in this moment that he wants to know God more. He desires to see God and he, re- he makes his request to see God's glory. God responds by working out this system where God would hide Moses in the cleft of a rock. Then, after God's glory passes by, Moses would be permitted to look on as God's glory departs from the scene. And they do this, and, and Moses, quote, he, he f- sees the passing glory who God is in a way he didn't expect because God tells Moses who he is and what he is like. Afterward, God renews the covenant. And what God tells Moses about himself can be found in Exodus 34, verse 5. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And it says that in this moment, you know, Moses is he wants to he wants to see God and, and and he will. But as God passes by, God speaks to Moses, and Moses' response is to bow and worship in response to this. Uh, the covenant is renewed. Moses looks on as God passes by, and yeah, the covenant is renewed. The people had just broken it. And in this renewed covenant, he says that he is going to do going to do things with and through the people of Israel that all the people who they are among will see. He is going to, in other words, use Israel as a source of light. It's kind of what light is like. It is seen and observed by those who are in its vicinity. And so we see early on this notion that the people of God are a source of light to the world around them. Unless we say that perhaps this is not the conclusion, 
When Moses comes down off the mountain, we are told in Exodus 34, verse 29, that the skin of his face was shining, and that later the people themselves are afraid to come near Moses. They work out a system of, of this veil that Moses would wear, and he would take it off every time he would go in the tent of meeting as a result. But we have this new data point that, one, God's people, the people of God, are to be sources of light in the midst of wherever they are at. And two, encounters with the light change and affect us. And so, this pillar of cloud and fire continued to guide the people around in the wilderness. Even after the people fail to enter the promised land, God continues to guide his people, shedding light for over 40 years of wandering, all the while waiting. God is still carrying out his plan to make Israel his big, glowing road sign moving throughout the wilderness of his glory and his ability to save his people. Also, as he is doing that, he is enacting his plan to bless all the nations of the earth through those people. Meanwhile, God's glory and presence come to rest on the Ark of the Covenant in the Tent of Meeting, which traveled with them, and Moses went into from time to time to meet with God. And it seems that as they go about these wilderness wanderings, and they have a few minor conquests here and there, God's reputation with his people did precede him. Because when they get to the land, and in, in after the years of wandering, and they actually go in to take it, there are these spies that go into the land that are hiding in the house of Rahab. Rahab was a, was a prostitute in the city of, I believe, Jericho. And we, we read in Joshua chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 9, Rahab said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. As Israel had been brought out of Egypt by God and crossed the Red Sea, and as they had begun to follow God's direction in, in taking parts of the land for themselves, they acted as these little spots of light that could be seen by the nations around them. And, and there's a response to this. You either, you either see that and, and go, man, that God is of a different degree and caliber, and I want to be a part of that as Rahab goes on to desire. Or you see that spot of light and you go, that God is different, and that light that, that, that God has enacts change on the people around him, and that's scary. And I don't, and I don't know if I want light shed there. And so... Rahab and, and her people heard about God before the people of Israel even arrived at their borders. And her response is that she wants to join God's people. 
one of the nations of the earth has now been blessed through God's people. Others had been before this, but we have this story of, of a picture of how, what it can look like. Then, it really isn't until the days of Solomon when the temple is built and the Ark of the Covenant is brought to rest inside the temple that we're told that God's presence comes to rest on the temple. 1 Kings 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 10 tells us, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. God's presence came to rest on the temple. Later, when uh, Ezekiel has visions of God's presence, he, he has visions of it leaving the temple, and, and then later returning to the temple. And he describes it when it returns as glorious and shining with God's glory. And when Ezekiel gives his prophecy and his vision, it's return, the return of the glory of the Lord to the temple is interesting because it departs in Ezekiel 10, but when it returns in Ezekiel 43, we're told that the earth shone with his glory. It's as if, just as Moses' face shone from having interacted with the glory of God, so too when God's glory leaves the temple in Ezekiel 10, the insinuation that Ezekiel wants us to see is that it doesn't leave the temple, this, this light and this glory of God. It doesn't leave the temple and just go sit somewhere. It went out of the temple and it impacted the world that it went out to. Because when, when his glory returns to the temple in Ezekiel 43, the earth is described as having been impacted or being radiating God's glory now. It causes the earth to shine with the parts of it that have been changed by that glory. The language is almost as if light has been shed on them, and having done so, they are filled with light themselves. We see God being a light to the nations and blessing all the nations of the earth here, brought into fulfillment by the vision of Ezekiel. But how is that brought about? How is this brought to fruition and not just a vision by some guy a long time ago? John tells us that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The Word was coming. The Logos, the Messiah. And listen to how John describes this Word which brings light. Back to John chapter 1, where, where Jesse has led us before. And I want to just recap a note that Jesse had shared. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. This word made flesh, this God who has come to dwell among us, is described as glory, as from the Father who is filled with grace and truth. Glory. We're called back to that scene 
not just in our memory, but by John. He says, just as Moses gave the law, like the law was given through Moses. We're called back to that scene of Moses on the mountain receiving the law with God. The law was given through Moses. He didn't even fully see God. He saw his passing glory, the radiance, and it changed him so much. In contrast to that, John tells us that grace and truth are given through Jesus, who not only has seen God, but intends to make God known to mankind, to shed light on the issue of who God is to mankind. Jesus intends to be God's blessing to all peoples, to change people so much that they become sources of God's light to others. And as, and as that happens, as Jesus changes us and we become sources of light to others, we become these little pockets of light in our, in our culture and in our world as we reflect our Savior and our God. And as we do so, we do so eagerly waiting for Ezekiel's vision of a world that shines with God's glory, a world that has been changed by Jesus and a vision made possible through the light which came into the world, Jesus our Savior. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.